you need to be able to control the video game. So how do, how would you do that? Well, like you got levers and like twisty knobs, so we'll just do that. It's sort of like a bop it, you know, in the early yep. days. Yeah. And I think it wasn't until, frankly, until the Xbox when the people making controllers were like, hey, what about hands? What are those? <laughs> yeah, what if hands what are used those, to do this? What, what are those shaped like? Scotch. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 298 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast, Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm in the past. I'm Sam, and I'm wearing red. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is February 12, 2021. Dunk on everyone. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be profanity in this show. We'd also like to thank our recurring supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Uh, they, they went over there and then we grabbed their money. So thanks a lot for, for that. Yeah. Let's talk about life. Mm-hmm. Sam, you had a thing you yeah. wanted to talk about with gesture drawings. Well, yeah, I read a book, and um, not just any book, important. Oh, my God. So, you know, a while ago I talked about this, I believe, this uh, this book called, or this rather a collection of handouts, basically, that I had gotten uh, as a PDF online that was just kind of floating around called Gesture Drawing for Animation. It's by this animator named Walt Stanchfield. And it's essentially a collection Stanch? of Stanchfield. Stanchfield. Mm-hmm. And it's a collection of all of these handouts from his teachings while he was working uh, at Disney and some of these other you know fancy hoity-toity places. Wait, so this guy worked at Disney and his name's also Walt? I know, right? So it's one of those, you know, uh, you hire people like you sort of things probably, you know. It's very – yeah, it's it's an Mm in-group. And so all the Walt's over there, uh, this is sort of the handout collection from there. And I just got to say, for anybody who is is studying art or trying to get better at it or uh, just interested in getting started, I think – this was this was the book for me that kind of kicked it off where he finally talked about it in a way that seemed like it made sense what you're actually trying to do. Um, and it's just it's just absolutely phenomenal. So it's a there's a, there's now a collected like paperback bound thing that someone put together. That's like all of the what was previously just these PDF handouts that were floating around online, you know, into a nice bound form. Um, so you can find it on Amazon and I would highly, highly recommend it. Now, you said a while back, I remember you talking about this um in the studio that like he had made these little handouts and just kind of like gave them out periodically, like daily or a few times a week or something. Mm-hmm. Then you said that you had tried to just read through the book in like one go, yeah. but it doesn't really work that way. Yeah. It's kind of meant to be like nuggets that you just like have a snack once a day, mm-hmm. digest it for the day and then read the next handout. The Absolutely. Next day, yeah. Right? It's a, uh, it's, it's definitely one of those those books that you want to kind of like, I guess, you know, poke around with the concept yourself uh, before kind of moving on to the next one. And it's sort of like, it's just a, it's just like so much condensed knowledge. And then the dude's just kind of like a goofy, fun, lighthearted teacher, you know? And so it's, it's got a very different vibe from a lot of the other uh, art materials that I've tried to pour over in the past um, that were far more focused on, on uh, the technical side of things. Um, and his is very much about sort of, you know, about what it means to make, to to do these drawings and to do animate and all this stuff and, and how to think about it. 
which is always what I've been I had been looking for. So how do you how do you think while you're doing this weird activity, uh, as opposed to just like what are you what are you trying to do with the shapes um, specifically? So one of my favorite things about animation is the name of it because to come to life it means to bring something to life right it's not about just like making it move mhm it's right? about you becoming dr frankenstein yeah absolutely yeah. You just inject some soul into stuff and i think it's yeah. you know we're using spine with uh with questions too and um a lot of spine projects i feel like and just a lot of game projects in general and even some of ours in the past have suffered from this this idea that you're animating something when all you're really doing is making it move if that makes sense. Um, you're not bringing it to life. You're just making its arms move. Yep. Which, uh, <laughs> people are, this is especially egregious with spine because it's like, it's just so easy. Yeah, Cause you can just make things kind of like, it's just wiggling drift a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It still reminds me of my, my biggest pet peeve, which I probably mentioned before on the podcast. I imagine my biggest pet peeve in all of video games is, is characters and creatures that don't blink. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You know, I, it, there was, I think I also mentioned this once before. There was a game to play that everybody apparently loved. It was really well rated, some little indie game. That I was so angry about the absence of blinking that I couldn't play it. <laughs> I, like, I, it was just because I couldn't stop noticing. I couldn't stop noticing how lifeless and soulless the characters and creatures in the game were, didn't just because of that one feature, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Well, this this pulls us right into. I want to talk about Crashlands Two. How how things are going. Because last week we talked about how after the Global Game Jam, we had realized, hey, we've deviated too far from our core process, which is rapid iteration, polishing as we go, um, and focusing on sort of like the here and now, but working towards a vision, right? And uh, one of the things that we've talked about being a core part of the vision for Crashlands 2 is making the world feel more alive. Mm-hmm. Like really, really it. wanted to make it into a place, you know, mm-hmm. more far more so than the original. Yeah, and and previously, because we had been trying to adhere to this grand plan, a lot of what we had been doing uh, so far in Crashlands Two is sort of filling out the world with essentially concept art. So we'd have lots and lots of things in the world, but none of which were actually finished or animated or usable in any kind of important way. They were just there, right? And so this past week, um, we've really put our focus into just a couple of things. So we've got uh, this these really cool sort of succulent-like plants called popwoods. Mm-hmm. They're like a big, tall, fat-based f- plant thing that uh, have this big red flower at the top. But they're alive and they like move around a little bit and then they occasionally like suck the flower into the body and then sometimes whip the flower back out. It's kind of like what you see with those, uh, those weird sea feather things, you know, where they like like pull it back in and then kind of creep it back out. Uh, yeah, kind of because because we, what we wanted – what we want with Crashlands 2 is we want it to be the case that like when you come in, this is – it's clearly Crashlands, but it's also like definitely Crashlands 2. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And so – so having this sort of like uh, fairly common uh, uh, resource that's out in the world, which we're basically kind of thinking about it as, as comparable to like the log tree of the original Crashlands. The log tree was a completely static image. It didn't make any sounds, didn't move, didn't do, didn't do it, it just was there, right? And so having these 
these uh, popwood trees that like are making sound and they're kind of like wiggling a little bit and they're just doing stuff. Um, and, and I think also we, we put an emphasis on audio this week. So um, we've got a bunch of new great sound effects. Um, Fat Barn has made tons of cool stuff. And the fact that you can like walk into a, a forest popwood trees and suddenly there's like this sort of like rhythmic cacophony of, of hearing them like crunching into their shells and like blasting mm. their flowers out and stuff. It's like, it actually feels like you're in a different place than you were when you yeah. were there. Right. Which is, yeah. Yeah. It really, it really came to life. It did. And, and we were like, okay, yeah, this is, this is the right track. Um, working on some new creatures, which I don't want to say too much about because I kind of want, I don't think you can visually describe what's happening to be honest with you. It's yeah, just, you can't. Uh, so there's there's no way you can ruin the surprise with, with mm-hmm. word word wordly descriptions. Okay. I'll say what what it is. So so uh this first creature that we're working on is basically it's it's supposed to be the wampet of Crashlands 2. It's like the more herbivore like creature first that's pretty creature common. You see. Yeah. Um not not super aggressive, you know, it's just kinda like doing its thing. Kind of a grazer, right? So, um, at the moment, we're calling this thing the Slug Bun. I think that name will stick because it's pretty dope. Um, mm-hmm. It and, looks uh, similar to, I think, in one of the uh, Ballyhoo newsletters, um, mm-hmm. Sam put in some concept art that I think showed like two variants of the thing that was actually the precursor to what it is now. I think that was yeah. the concept art that had all 10 of them in there. Oh, is that so, what it was? Yeah, number okay. three was the one that we had decided to go with. I believe it was number three in there. Uh, it was also the one that, I mean, conveniently, it's one of those nice things where it's like we more or less already decided to go with the kind of the rough body planner number three. And then uh, I looked at the feedback because people, you know, we asked people to respond, like, which one do you like the best? And actually, that was the one that people were yeah. most keen on. But then we took it and sort of, I just did a bit more. It's gotten it. weirder. Yep. Yeah. It's gotten a lot weirder, a lot more colorful and cool. I would say it's like if you combined a um, a sea slug with a, with a manatee. <laughs> That's about right. And yeah. kind of. And maybe a bug, and then like put it put it on land and made it graze like a cow. And uh, yeah, I love is, about this. I'm sure creature. you all, everybody listening, is picturing exactly. Everybody's what like, <laughs> yes, yeah, I see where. Yep, I know what that is. Uh, so, so we we spent a a lot of time this week talking through like how to give this thing just just a, a real attitude, like a real personality, you know? Because it's kind of derpy, it's kind of dumb. It's just walking around eating eating popwoods, right? Which they do. They walk around and they, they gnaw on the popwoods. Um, but the way that it locomotes, the way it moves around is it like tucks its body in to form a ball and then it squishes its head down into its body, kind of like as if it's like a beanbag chair. If you, or if you've seen, maybe you've seen the video of a manatee like in, a, in, a, in an aquarium, you know, where you have like the underground glass thing you can look through, you know? Uh, there's a hilarious video of a manatee that's just like, just sailing like towards oh, yeah. this glass, right? I think it's a seal. Or is it a seal? Maybe it's yeah, some, it's some th- big blubbery creature, right? Yeah. And, it, and it runs into it, and then just its whole body—it's like the fat part of its body because it's just—it's mostly fat, right? Just like yeah, like telescopes in onto, onto like the front of its body. Uh, so it's it's basically, yeah, basically yeah, it gets perfectly flat. And there's just yeah. this like seal face, kind of like in a, in a <laughs> flat plate of blubber, right? Which is uh, kind of what yeah. I was going for with it. So yeah. so so we wanted the slug of buns to feel like kind of like a squishy ball, boneless body thing. Um, and so so they squish their head into their body while looking skyward. Then they 
sort of slinky out really hard to launch <laughs> themselves into the air. While in the air, their body kind of snaps back in into a ball shape, right? And then they then they drift back to the ground and kind of splat on the ground. <laughs> And then they kind of reform and then tuck in and do it again. Um, so, I mean, it's just like – and we don't have any audio yet for the Slugabuns because we're still refining the, the visuals. But um, we also have like ambient soundscapes. I mean, it's – just all of a sudden this week, it feels like you load into the world. And even though – now, we've only got a couple of things in there that we've actually are, are like approaching a, a more finished state. Um, even with that, it's just like it's it's really feeling like – well, yeah. Like and the funny thing place. is, there's there's only I don't know. There's what is it? There's so we got one animated creature. There's another cre- there's another creature too. They just float around because they only have one. You know, they're just state. a picture that's uh, moving around. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> we've got one animated creature. We've got like the pop woods. There's there's like you know some rocks and sticks and things. Uh, so, so collectively, there's not that much stuff in there. But all, it already in terms of like diversity of stuff, right? It feels. To me, anyway, just like looking at it, it feels way more diverse than like the entire savanna of Crashlands, right? Yeah, uh, and like into like the difference between like when you when you land in this game versus when you land in original Crashlands, like it's gonna it's gonna feel so fucking different. Like you're gonna feel like you're in like a jungle with like wildlife, and you know, like the, it's it's yes. it's very cool. It's got a completely different vibe. Yep. So uh, I also want to say for the lo- for a long time. All you're all you're going to be getting about Crashlands Two is snippets of us talking about it on the podcast, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> uh, we we don't want to show anything until until we are confident that it's not just going to be good, but it's going to just like blow people's socks off. Um, so we're we're going to hold our cards close to the chest for as long as we can. We want a proper reveal. We want a real reveal. Uh, so that'll that'll happen, but uh, for now, you'll just have to imagine these things. Uh, so very excited. Great week so far. Uh, and now, before we go to questions, we'll talk about a little little industry, ha- a little a little hot goss from the games industry. Ooh, yeah, yeah. And we'll, uh, and we'll keep it we'll keep it brief because there's not a lot to say. It's mostly just amazing, which is. Uh, just a few days ago, so I don't. Well, I, I want to first. I have to say this is part of our of our new segment, Stadia Watch. Stadia Watch, yes. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so just uh, just a so I guess actually maybe like maybe a couple weeks ago or something, uh, some people who were paying attention noticed that something appeared somewhere that that implied that Terraria was coming to Stadia. Um, so it wasn't officially announced yet, uh, but they it like it had shown up in some material somewhere, just like how people discover games going to Xbox because the achievements pages go live and that sort of thing. So I can't remember the details, but basically people discovered this and were like, "Ooh, interesting! Like a game that people want is is coming to to Stadia." So this just 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 happened. Okay, so then shortly after that, about three days ago, uh, the, the the creator of Terraria, I can't remember what his name is, something like Sphinx or something. Uh, tweeted out that uh, this kind of long saga, which culminated in, they would they were now pulling Terraria from Stadia and further would not be working with Google, that whole company, period, on any games moving forward. So and they're mad. All, they're very mad. And it all, it all stemmed from uh, anyone familiar with like the YouTube stuff is also familiar with how, how uh, angry – people who make videos on YouTube are about the incomprehensible 
takedowns and things that constantly happen um, because as part of Google's policy for dealing with this stuff, they provide basically no information and no recourse. So if they decide to pull your channel, they'll just tell you, hey, you're in violation of our policies. They don't tell you which one. They don't tell you what video. They just say you're in violation. Uh, and then um, and then if you get a few of those or if they decide it's egregious enough, they just knock your channel down. But they could take it even further sometimes do where they basically disable permanently your entire Google account. Mm-hmm. So this happened to the creator of Terraria. Um, and I'm not sure. It wasn't clear it, to me if it's it was the, the it was the the 505. Yeah, it might actually YouTube chan- channel. I don't think it was five hundred five. I think it was the it was Terraria's YouTube because like, it was it was, it was connected yeah. to his personal it's his personal yeah. Gmail account that he started like fifteen years ago. Yeah, you know, right before even Terraria was a thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Because five hundred five is actually a separate company. That's their their publisher. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah. So so, so Google basically it sent them a note a while ago, uh, like I'm sure like middle of January or something. They were like, "Hey, uh, your YouTube channel is in violation." Um, they made some thing about like, uh, we don't think this is, was intentional. So, but whatever. And then three days later, all of a sudden, just everything was down. It was gone. Uh, they've been unable to reach anybody to figure out what happened, unable to do anything about it. Just like everything is just gone. And since they haven't been able to resolve it. Yeah. It's not just the YouTube account. It's all of the Google related. So this, this Gmail, all of his files and drive, the YouTube account too, uh, you think about like what happened, what would happen to you if you were just locked out of like your, your Gmail account, if you use that as your primary email provider. For yeah. Honestly, like, this got me thinking about that. Yeah, yeah. Me too. You know, because it's like two factor authentication, you know, Google authenticator is like, or, or you use your Gmail for password recovery for yeah. other sites or you just signed in with it. Right. And it's like, if I couldn't get into that, mm-hmm. I couldn't get into my Any, bank yeah. account. I couldn't, I, I couldn't get into anything, you yeah. know? Because uh, it's just at the center of all of it, and it's pretty unnerving. Yeah, well, you know, just because you, you can buy domains through Google, also, right? So, and you sign into that through your Google account. So, like, if you, yeah. if you, so you couldn't even do a roundabout path where it's like, oh, let me just buy my own domain, so I can attach my Google email to it, so that if that falls apart, I can attach the same domain to a different email service. Still, have my, I'm going to lose my emails, but I can at least the email address will still work. Like no, because you wouldn't be able to get access to your domains to be able to go set your so so it's a it's a nightmare scenario. Uh, but that, I, well, I think the problem is like what's what's option B? Yeah, like, there, what, there really what, is. What, what there's could, no option B. Yeah. yeah, like I don't know, set up a Yahoo account and tie like half of your online services to that. Yeah, so it really like, just shouldn't I mean, be the case. <laughs> it really shouldn't be the case that that an infraction on something like YouTube somehow. Mm-hmm implodes your email address. Your entire life and business. <laughs> yeah. So this is yeah, so that's, what this yeah, guy's so, so he he was rightfully and righteously enraged by this situation. And he had he had one of those cards that the rest of us don't have, which was just so it's just so delightful, you know, because the card that he had was that that Google owns this thing called Stadia that we talked about that nobody really wants. So they're really trying to sell and figure out how to sell. And one of the big problems is that they're having trouble getting games onto it that anybody wants, right? So here comes this game. Everybody fucking loves Terraria. It's a great game. Uh, this is also a really interesting – Terraria is an interesting case study for something that could go onto Stadia also. So it's like, it'll, be, it'll be really cool to see how that could work. Um, and uh, it's in the works. It's all private. They haven't even announced it yet officially, right? 
And then, and then they just like Google fucks with him. And he's like, I can fuck with you back, actually. That's a thing that I can do. And, <laughs> and he does in the, in the most spectacular way. So, yeah, I, there's, a, there's a bit of, there's a, another, like, a lot of the karmic kind of, uh, you know, uh, justice vibe going on with that. It's kind of the, t- um, the Tim Sweeney vibe. Yeah, it's a Tim Sweeney. Yeah, it's, it's just like, it's in this, and it, but to me, it represented the, like, my dream of what I want to have happen with our studio is for us to at some point have had enough success that you have leverage. One of two things. One is, is either leverage or where we don't have to give a shit. Right. Because, well, they're kind of synonymous in a lot of, well, well, they're not exactly right. Because it's not that he can use the fact that he's a trader developer to fix his email problem. Apparently, which is shocking. Apparently, which is exactly, which is crazy. But that's because Google, of course, compared to Terraria, is infinitely more powerful, right? Right, because uh, if Google doesn't get Terraria on Stadia, you know they're gonna. Well, for starters, like, is anybody gonna subscribe to Stadia because of Terraria? Uh, you know, like, I don't know if it was even good to actually like mm-hmm. help Stadia, but if it, if you know, on the scale that Google's trying to operate, you know, getting a really big name game into a service like that, you know, could be worth millions, right? Yep. But like millions is literally zero percent of Google's annual revenue. Yeah. Right. Like you can't notice if millions go missing, yep. so it just doesn't. I mean, there was a story of that guy right? who was just billing them for millions of dollars for no reason, and they just paid him for no reason. They but. just paid him. Yeah. <laughs> well, on this actually, so this is the the thing that I've kind of come to learn is like there are great, passionate people working at Google who love the stuff that they're doing, mm-hmm. but yeah, Google's mostly yeah. Google's mostly run by robots, though. Yeah. Like almost yeah. everything that that the company does is robots doing it, right? Mm-hmm. So like he this YouTube account got flagged by a robot. He got banned by a robot. He had to go through customer service run by robots. Mm-hmm. And at various points, uh, he had mentioned like he he actually had you know people at Google helping him and trying to get this resolved, but they they lost. The robots beat them, right? <laughs> <laughs> like there's all these systems in place. That make these automated band waves happen and stuff like that, and there's just not a there's not a person in there flipping the switch. Well, there's also to, like Google's you know. also their whole thing for a long time has been minimal customer service. Um, so it, it is also the case that it is very very hard just to get either a robot or a person to help help you do a thing if something if you get into trouble. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's a yeah. I, I just found the whole thing very. I just I was just laughing when I read this article because yeah, yeah. So, so again, it's not the, it's not a point of, of leverage. Like leverage is even better to have, right? But what he what he has as a person who like like, like Trey has made I don't know probably a hundred million dollars or some ungodly number. Like it's made a lot of money, right? And it, like they have a, a fair number of employees who the the guy who owns the company has you know paid over the years and stuff. But still, it's a small company. Um, and uh, the fact is, they don't. They don't need to be on anything, you know. They could stop selling the game, period, right now. And unless they're buying airplanes and stuff, then, then uh, they'd still be financially fine for the for lifetimes, right? Uh, so they just so the so they're in a, they're in that unique situation where they just can they can just not put up with shit, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's the next best thing to having leverage, right? Um, and so my dream for us as a company is to hit that. That's what you call fuck you money, right? Is to, to hit that spot. Uh, so anyway, I just thought, I just thought it was delight. It was a delight. You don't need to do stuff. Also, you just horrifying. Story. Are doing. You just are doing stuff. You know, yes. for fun. Yep. Very interesting. Um, of course, last week's Stadia Watch was about them shutting down their 
their uh, internal studios. So now they're shutting down external studios as well. <laughs> so it's, they're really expanding their reach. Uh-huh. Uh, all right, well, let's get on to some questions. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. If you want to get your question onto a future episode, get on over there, slap it in the text box, and also go ahead and upvote some questions you know that you want to see get answered. So the highest voted question from uh, this week is from Guigi. Nice. Which I think is Luigi's sort of slimy <laughs> cousin. Uh-huh. Uh, do you guys drink coffee when you do your podcasts? I mean, yeah. I got I got mine right here. It usually takes us so long to get the podcast started that I have finished my coffee. I always I intend say, to. That is one of the funny things about the remote side, because like the podcast used to be very slick from sort of I would say like the, the starting to try to record it to the time it was done. There was maybe like 10 or 15 minutes in the pre-phase, mainly it was figuring out what we're going to talk about. And now there's, because there's technical shit, there's always like <laughs> just technical errors. Uh, you're trying to get the sound right in your room. Uh, every you know, every other time it's like, oh, oh shit, we got a, a meeting running long for this or whatever else. And so it's a, it's been a different sort of a thing that makes the coffee kind of disappear by the time the, co- the podcast starts. Well, this kind of makes me think of, I saw this YouTube video recently. That was uh, it was a court it was a court hearing that had to happen over Zoom because you know is this someone with well, a cat thing or is this something else? Yeah, <laughs> one of the like every, everybody on this call uh, was clearly like is very new to like using remote work stuff and video calls and whatnot, and they all had the, gray hair and you know r- lots of wrinkles. Mm. Just <laughs> so just one to of give them, you the age range, you know. Mm-hmm. One of them comes in. As a cat with a like, he's got a filter on that puts a picture of like almost like a crying kitten mm-hmm. that, uh, that opens its mouth when you talk. That opens its oh mouth when God. he talks, and and uh, he's talking, but he doesn't he doesn't know that he's a <laughs> kitten because he doesn't know how to use Zoom or anything, right? And so he he's just like talking, and then one of the other lawyers keeps interrupting him. He's like, "I'm sorry, like you you're you're you're." you're <laughs> You've got some kind of filter. I think there's a filter on. You're, you're looking like a cat. You're, you have a cat image. Or the, the, other, the, the guy's like, oh, yeah, he's trying to get his assistant to help him out. And the whole time you could just hear him trying to explain that he isn't actually a cat. And they're all like, yeah, we know that. That's amazing. But that's kind of like, yeah, getting our podcast started every yeah, uh-huh. week. It's like. <laughs> yeah. Someone shows up as a cat like, and you're like, oh, again. Oh, there's a filter on. There's always. There's also always like programs keep trying to take control of our microphones. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. We actually, we can't use Google Hangouts to record the podcast because Google Hangouts just changes your microphone volume on the fly. Like, and not like on the, at the system at level. At the system like, level. Yeah. Not, yeah. Not the, not just inside of itself. Right. And so, and there, there are things you can supposedly do to prevent it from being able to do that, but uh, it always finds a way. It always finds a way. It's pretty, pretty <laughs> wild. So yeah, we actually. Have to use Discord because it's the only thing that doesn't do that. But then Discord's been eating up increasing amounts of CPU for some fucking uh-huh. reason. So, uh, so yeah, but I guess the coffee tends to be cold these days by the time we get to drink it, to be honest. Uh, but then also, you know, I made that uh, matcha green tea cake like a year ago. And as part of that, I bought like a huge bag of that powdered matcha stuff, which mm, is – yeah. Which is Real basically intense. just powdered caffeine, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually, as of the last week, I've sort of, I've basically switched over because I was like, I need to consume this somehow. And so 
I at first I made one and I was like, I mean, it's just like drinking like grass. But the thing yeah. is, coffee is just as weird, you know, in terms of taste. Like, it's yeah, bitter. you gotta get used to this different kind of weirdness. Exactly. And so I've been sort of I've been I've been ramping up my matcha intake these last couple of days, and I gotta say, starting the day with a green drink. It's real weird, and I'm like kind of into it, and I'm loving – I'm just loving it. So I it think makes, I might yeah, actually get on the It's misleading because it's green, which you're like healthy, obviously, right? But I'm pretty sure that matcha uh, like just buries coffee in terms of caffeine levels. It's like – yeah, you, you, you do like a, a basically a teaspoon mm-hmm. and a half has like 45 milligrams caffeine in it. So – it's like Dude, a, I still remember okay, when so we that's went a down to Uruguay. When we went down to Uruguay, then they had what is it? Mate? Mate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that stuff. Man, socks right off. Sam and I didn't know that you like. We we were drinking it like it was coffee, you know. And we like before we put on a a, a talk about publishing down there. Yep. We were, we just went to a cafe. You know, using our semi-broken Spanish to order stuff, and we got the thing, and like nobody can explain to us how to drink it because we're not speaking good enough Spanish. Mm-hmm. So we're just slamming these things, like for two hours. We're just uh-huh. talking, like like our conversations getting more and more animated and engaged. And like <laughs> by the time we get to give the talk, we're just like sweating and red, but like oh man, just we delivered out. a talk. Yeah, like we- <laughs> yeah, no, I, I yeah the. The green we sort of grassy feel of these things, I actually prefer because, like, coffee is, uh, you know, it's more of a, I don't even know how you'd say it. It's sort of, it's got, it's got a coffee flavor, obviously, but it's more of like a burnt or sort of it's like a, a that roasted acidic. flavor. Yeah, it's acidic uh, versus that sort of just grassy sort of thing, which is definitely weird, <laughs> but but I actually like a lot. So I've been drinking matcha for the podcast instead of coffee. Long way to say that. Matcha with biscacha. Was the new name of Ooh. our? We're coming up at episode three hundred, oh. so we got to do some re- rebranding, right? Matcha with biscotti. I thought sure, you were yeah. saying with biscotti, and I was like, that would be disgusting. But matcha with biscotti? <laughs> no, no, don't do that. All right, next question comes from Doctor Hayes. Adam and Sam always get to be stuff, but Seth is always the games programmer. Mm, that's true. Yeah, Seth. What else do you want to be? Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing. When I was very young. <laughs> Somebody said to me, hey, Seth, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, a giraffe. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't know that you, could, that you couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had never seen giraffes be created. Mm-hmm. And I knew that people could become things when they grew up. And you, so you probably read Animorphs. I read Animorphs. I just put two and two together. And I was like, <laughs> Some, somebody has to be becoming a giraffe when they grow up, right? Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. some people become doctors, some people become, you know, engineers. I mean, yeah, talk about that problem of self-rejection, right? Where it's like so many things, you're just like, um, you just decide not to do it because you're just like, I can't. There's no way I'm you know, right. But but here here you are as a child being like it's it's not even so it's just like self-rejection is so far away from the idea that you could become a giraffe, mm-hmm. you know? And then just over time we just we just lose that and we just start we start narrowing our vision more and more first to what's like actually possible, which is like you know, a reasonable thing to limit it to. And then we start Just limiting like it even physics further. and biology wise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then we start limiting it even further though, and we're like, okay, well, sure, like it's technically possible, you know, right? But X, Y, Z, X, Y, you just have this list of reasons. And over time, it just keeps on fucking, it just keeps getting narrower and narrower. And then eventually you're just 
And then eventually you're you're just just a a, games programmer. You're just a games programmer and that's all you're ever going to be, you know? So that's, I I know I'm kind of locked in now. I feel like that's just who I am. And I just, I have to, I have to stay on that track because my, my giraffe dreams were trounced. I feel like it's a a funny thing too, because it's like, if you're, you know, if you as a kid just want to be an astronaut or something, I mean, you're not dreaming big enough to be honest, because yeah. Ever people have been astronauts. That's yeah. a thing that's possible. Yeah. But also it's, you know, it's been done. You know, astronaut, that's yesterday's uh, profession. We've totally. had those, it's an old, we've had those since the 50s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about something new? You know, a giraffe. <laughs> as far as we know, nobody's become a giraffe. As far so, as we know. Not that you'd be able know. to tell afterwards, you know. Yeah, or maybe every giraffe was, you know, once a person. All right, next question comes from Jamie Dot Games. It's kind of hard to read that without uh, without camel case, but I got through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the best video game controller? So, was in this question implies that it is no more, no longer that, is. Was. So let's take a mental journey through the controllers of yore. Of are we what? counting like the? Are we counting like Game Boys and stuff? Since they have a controller, you know, yeah, they don't have yeah. a controller. Anything you can poke or or move or look at that causes a thing to change. Mm. Yeah, okay. so I would say like uh, OG Nintendo controller, the one that's shaped like a rectangle, real shit piece. Yep, yep. but I the mean, SNES one that's rounder, that was pretty good. I like that one. Pretty good. It was a step in the right direction mm-hmm. because at the beginning, you know, you had like your Atari joystick with a button on it, or you had like a Pong paddle. Right, mm-hmm. uh, because all they were thinking was like, you need to be able to control the video game. So how do, how would you do that? Well, like you got levers and like twisty knobs, so we'll just do that. It's sort of like a bop it, you know, in the yep. early days. Yeah, and I think it wasn't until, frankly, until the Xbox when the people making controllers were like, "Hey, what about hands? <laughs> what are those? Yeah, what if hands? What are, are those? Used to do this? What, what are those shaped like?" I, don't know. I, I will say I, I will say the Nintendo sixty four was yeah. a step in the right direction, and but the fact shaped. that it, it, it like you could hold it in your hands like a like a person, but it had three fucking <laughs> it, <laughs> it had is, three handles on it, so it's like yeah, in what's going on with this? The third handle was sort of weird. The whole concept is odd. <laughs> I think because you can only the, hold two of them at a time because you know you're a person. Yeah, the big so. thing for me with the the I remember the N64 controller, which I do think was one of the great ones. It was um, good, yeah. Uh, was that one? Was it reaching up to those what they call them the C buttons, which is essentially yeah, another D pad on the right side? Uh, was basically impossible with small hands. Like it was far enough up there that you had to like you had to take your hand off the thing and, and get up there and do stuff, and then. That using that, I don't know what the fuck that joystick was made of, diamond, some sort of hard meteor oh, yeah. material, but that thing would put a dent in your thumb if you played yeah, it. Yeah, would, it would erode through your thumb like a, like waves on a, on a cliff face. Yeah, you just know? no good. <laughs> just day to day. Until one day it pokes you right in the thumb bone. Yeah. Yep. I remember I, I finished playing at a friend's house. I feel like I still have like a permanent dent in my left thumb from that thing. Like I'm just, I think that joystick also, it just, it was hard plastic and it also took a bit more force to, to push around than, than modern joysticks, mm-hmm. you know? So you just, you just kind of like put two and two together there and it's, uh, that's a, that's a recipe for thumb destruction. Mm-hmm. So, and also, I I genuinely can't remember a game where I ever put my hand on the left side of the. 
Nintendo 64 controller. It was always the joystick. Yeah. So you're always mm-hmm. like holding it with your hands a little too close together, you know? But like they they had one well, they had, and they had the trigger, which was like a big thing. Like, oh, you have fingers. You also have fingers on your hand. Oh, right? the Z, right? That was the one button on the back. Yeah. Right, so like right. the big the big innovation that Nintendo had was they recognized that humans have hands and that they have shapes to them. <laughs> and they're the, fairly and there are fingers on those hands that when you're holding on to a thing end up on sp- in specific places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, so that was a good innovation, but they didn't quite realize that humans only have two only hands. Only have two hands. And so it wasn't until many years later where the people at Microsoft were like, hands, two of them, fingers. Do I think, think we understand now. Do you think the, the, the people <laughs> who invented the, the Nintendo 64 controller were actually aliens? Whoa. And they just, and they just like, there was a detail that none of them thought about you know like so they're they're making this controller they're using their three hands to like you know use it like play games and stuff yeah and so they designed it for like you know for this this three-handed thing right so they're doing all this stuff and like and they've been trying to fit into to humanity and stuff they've been like normally they're hiding their third arm right but in this context just for some reason just nobody thought about it just nobody so nobody like raised that point you know, you know? You're you just like, like television talent. so they get this thing out you know and they're like oh no We've just reve- we just accidentally revealed our secret, and everybody just gets this thing. And they're like, "How are you supposed to hold this?" And that's the only question they ask. Right? <laughs> yep. No, no. Well, it's knew. actually the case that like what, pe- what most people don't know about Nintendo is that actually uh, aliens visit the Nintendo headquarters on a twelve-year cycle and give them hardware ideas. Yep. Right. So like, because mm-hmm. like every other generation of Nintendo is just a regular thing. That's true. You know, it's just it's just like yeah, a person could have thought of this, and then on a twelve year cycle, it's like hey, what if we just like had two completely different controllers that were floating around in space and had like weird fucking buttons on them that were nothing alike each other, and also that it has like a beam on the front of it that teleports shit onto your TV screen. Mm-hmm. What if we did that, right? Mm-hmm. And then just, boom, now you've got Wii bowling all of a sudden. Right? Yep. So and then you know later. You have the humans who were trying to like reverse engineer the alien tech and they were like, uh, people like two things. I don't know. Like, what if we like put a screen on the controller? Would people like that? And that didn't work. Didn't right? pan so out. The aliens, well. Yeah. So the aliens had to come back and bestow the Nintendo Switch upon us. But next generation, we're going to be back into human territory. I, I I'm genuinely like so. really interested in what the heck they're going to do for this next round. I mean, it's like yeah, the Switch was too. Yeah. The, <laughs> for Nintendo. The the switch was way too like. Here's a really practical, smart way of playing video games. Yeah, like, but really, just regular video games, not not weird ones that require new things. But just well, like, that's why they got that ring games. thing and the cardboard. Don't forget that's true. They, yeah, they, they still do their weird shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's true. Just I, like, I'll say though, with the switch, <laughs> the the thing that bums me out about the switch is that Nintendo. I think. What they what they really wanted to do was they wanted to merge their their handheld and their console user base, right? Because yep. they've been the they've been the Game Boy people and the well, I guess random weirdly shaped consoles people mm-hmm. for a long time, and they wanted to merge them together. The problem is those have very divergent price points. Yeah. So instead, they so they made the switch at like two hundred was it two hundred ninety nine bucks? So. One hundred ninety nine. It's just no, like that's three hundred. I think pretty sure. It's, it's, it's like. It's on the lower end of price for for consoles, but it's the same um, price as a 3ds. Yeah, so so it, it would be very easy for somebody who's like traditionally playing with 
Nintendo handhelds to jump over to the Switch and also be very easy for somebody who was planning on buying a more expensive Nintendo console to instead buy the Switch because it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. The problem is to make it cheaper, you got to use a lot worse hardware, yeah. right? So, so we're starting to see now quite a few developers coming out who have been trying to get their games more optimized on the Switch. Pillars of Eternity just had an announcement this week where they're like, they're like, we've been spending years for the dedicated team just trying to get the game to run better on the Switch, and we're just out of options. Like it, it's, it's, it is what it is now, right? Yeah. So if you've been playing it on the Switch and you've been having performance problems, which you have been, if you've been playing it on the Switch. That's just that's your life now. It right? is it is a very weak piece of hardware. It is like we, we've been yeah. doing optimization experiments with Crashlands Two um, to see like how the different spine things impact frame rates and stuff. And, and basically every device just blazing fast, doing just fine. Uh, mobile devices of it also doesn't matter. I get on the switch and the switch is just like I don't know about this. Yeah, <laughs> seems like a lot. Yeah, it's like it's like okay, yeah, sure, we've tested it on a mid-range 2016 Android phone, but have we tried it on a switch? Because yep. that's the true yep. test. Yep. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, but I think, I mean, this is, this is just a perennial problem with consoles in general is, is, uh, just that they are supposed to be lower priced mm-hmm. things. Right. Um, I, I will say though, I was reading about uh PlayStation five and how it's actually being sold at a loss yep. now because Sony's thinking like, we just, you know, for the kinds of games we want to have on this thing we can't get the hardware in at the price point that we want. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to sell the device at a loss and recoup the costs on selling the games, mm-hmm. right? Because Sony takes a cut through the, the Play Store. Did they, did they actually intend to have a higher price point, but since Xbox came out swinging with their... I mean, this is what, this happened every, every console cycle, it's the same deal. It's the two of them are coming out neck and neck, Roughly the same hardware specs, right? And then Nintendo's like, look at this! Yeah, Nintendo's something <laughs> weird. And then and then basically either Microsoft or Nintendo gets fucked because one of the two of them, well, they have to compete with the same hardware and they have to compete at the same price. One of the two of them didn't make decisions that allow them to actually compete at that price and they have to sell at a loss and hope that the yep. game revenue can make up for it. Uh, I still think, I mean, just every time. The, the Game Pass... Game Pass as a deal is just so too good. stupidly powerful that I'm still just like... I mean, I get, I get it. I get it if you want to play God of War or something like that. Because I mean, I, I played it; it's fucking great. But, uh, but good God, like just for just for the sheer value proposition of that, whew, mm-hmm. it's just too good. Yeah. But back yeah, to the question of controllers, though, mm-hmm. which Xbox I still think is really good. I think Xbox controllers are just primo. The PlayStation really. ones are fine. They, I don't know what it is about them. I haven't, I haven't used the PS5 one, but it looks like it's the same fucking shape. It's just white. Well, it's, it, so. the thing is, the, the PS5 one has a bit more curves to it, right? Because like it might sit in the hand better, but it's yeah. it's always been a bit too it's a bit too straight. Like uh, yeah, something about how you hold it doesn't quite it doesn't hundred percent actually work with like how a hand works. And my guess is they're probably like shit because Xbox did like an ergonomic design for theirs, yeah, which like you it's can't really patented to the to the yeah. And all it's that. like they have to do a different shape, but it's like a really good shape for hands. So I, yeah, I think, I think well, Xbox nailed the right shape and now mm-hmm. others can't because, because part of, part of the thing that of course they're, they're differentiating themselves and like it probably, cause you, you, there are knockoff Xbox controllers everywhere, right? So it's not illegal to make one, um, which means Sony could probably. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but that would be them admitting yeah. that. I want to see, that would be them admitting but hands have a certain shape. Yeah, which you know, <laughs> I would have seen a controller that is a that is a that is a sphere shape, or like kind of yeah that you would hold like 
with your hands up. I want two spheres so that you can just have your hands wherever the fuck you want. You can have them at your sides, just dangling, you know, and you can just be like pushing mm, buttons. It's so like the switch situation, basically, but yeah. with like a like yeah. a nice I, gripped surface instead of yep. like a weird thing that you have to cramp your hands around because there's well, yeah, because that's the thing is like Switch actually they they because with the the Wii and the Switch, Nintendo. They like they made the brain move of being like a controller doesn't have to be one thing; it could be two things, and that way your hands can be wherever you want them to be instead of like pulling them say, tight, tightly together. Incredible right. feeling of like playing a switch and just laying there, like with your arms flapped out. <laughs> oh yeah, right. it's great, right? But like, and the, there's no reason why a uh, an Xbox controller couldn't snap mm-hmm. in half and just be two two halves that you can hold it at whatever dimension. Yeah. No, I would I'd, honestly, I would love to see that be like the usual I, thing. Yeah, because the problem with the Nintendo controllers is that the Switch controllers are, are teeny tiny and they're not ergonomic. Yeah, so they're uncomfortable right. despite the comfort of being able to split them in half. Yeah, so like both, I would say if you get if you brought both of those concepts together, Ooh, ergonomically yeah. fit but also break apartable, then now you now you're now you're cooking with gas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe the Xbox. What do we think the next generation of Xbox is going to be called? The Xbox. We got, hey, we got the Xbox <laughs> One and the Xbox Series. No, we got the Xbox uh, Three, the Xbox then Three Hundred and Sixty, yeah, then, then One, the one then, then Series. series. Yep. Uh, I think Series is meant to be the last one. I can't. I can't is really it? find a pattern here. Is it, but it's Series X and Series S. Yeah, it's, but I but I thought the idea that this when they hit this generation, I thought the plan was to say uh, we want to treat this more like the PC kind of yeah, market where you just right. have like. Things just get now better, right? But there's not like a major release where we claim that everything is new and different or whatever. But we just have we just continue to put out new ones, you know, every couple of years or whatever, um, with just like higher specs. Um, yeah, so I don't know if that's true, but that was what I thought they were talking about. That, yeah, that is, that's what they've they've mentioned publicly. My guess is that their their bet on is on the long range that all the tech all the tech developments that need to be happening are actually on the cloud side of things. Really. Yeah. Um, yeah, they are investing so, heavily in that. Yeah, I think they've so, I think they've stated that they think this is going to be the last console generation. I don't think so because something that's been bugging me about all this talk about streaming games, okay, mm-hmm. is the fact that streaming games effectively requires a, a high speed internet connection, right? Mm-hmm. Like you got it, you got to do it. Um, but the reason you need a high speed internet connection is because of the level of graphical fidelity of games. They have a lot of pixels that need to be streamed, right? They have a lot of hardware requirements. And one thing that continues to be true is that games continue to get higher resolution mm-hmm. and and higher graphical fidelity. Uh, and if already, which means you're going to require more and more bandwidth to be able. Yeah. To. So, like, how is bandwidth ever going to suddenly catch up? Like, what's going to make that happen? Because they're both they're both progressing, mm-hmm. right? But it seems like bandwidth in the U.S. is not progressing <laughs> anywhere close to the speed. Oh, we have of, garbage infrastructure. Well, I of, think what I'm yeah. hoping is that you know, if given the size of the games industry now, and and also all the companies who are in it who are trying to do the streaming stuff, where it's it's basically well, it's just everyone: Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Sony. Everyone's trying to figure figure this out. Uh, that that will finally create enough of a pressured incentive for the U.S sort of overall telecom stuff, you know what I mean? To like forcibly it, it won't because they they get no benefit. Right? Oh, because shit. the way the whole thing is set up, because it's not a utility, right? Which means that the government isn't responsible for it. So it's still companies doing it, but 
they because they're in this weird like middle ground space where they just like have to let whoever wants to use it use it which was that's what net neutrality is right it's being like ooh, even though you're netflix and like literally all of every single fucking ounce of our bandwidth is going to your company specifically uh we can't charge you more right mm-hmm. uh which and, and like we need those rules to have an open internet so like this, this is, sucks, just, sucks for them, but like that's how yeah, it is. We're in this. <laughs> we're just in this idiotic middle ground because we refuse to turn internet into a utility. Where we're like, ooh, it's still companies. Like it can't possibly make any financial sense to put the incentives in the right place. Uh, so we'll just let everybody be a monopoly, and then uh, that's going to work. That's the end of the, end of the mm-hmm. story, right? Yeah. So that's we're we're just toast until we turn it into a utility. Which you know we're America, so there's been years, some. There's been like some that. actual some small towns in the U.S. or even oh, heard larger cities that have tried to develop their own publicly provided internet that is funded by local tax dollars, and most of the time, a telecom company will lobby the local lawmaking body to make it illegal for city governments to compete against mm-hmm. telecom companies. And they do it successfully because we're in a corrupt. They, State. yeah, it's, it's, I think the, the argument that they always put forth, which it's now, I think like we're running out of States where, where towns can provide internet to their citizens. I think there's only like single digit numbers of States left in the U S where that, where it's legal for a city to provide internet. Uh, and it's, the argument is that governments have resources that companies don't have. So if a government enters the private s- sector, in telecom, then suddenly the telecom company can no longer compete, and therefore it's a monopoly. Right? Say, say even though like even uh, though like it currently is a monopoly, yeah. <laughs> and they don't compete at the moment. So, anyways, it's pretty fucked. Uh, but anyways, the broader mm. point is streaming in the United States. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not. Uh, I I'm not really. I don't have high hopes for it. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a piecemeal replacement over a long period of time, not a wholesale thing. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, I think probably last question of the day comes from Bam182, who says, It was brought up in a recent podcast that it feels like now is the midlife crisis of the studio. Mm. If that's the case, what's the sexy new Ferrari? Is it 3D games? So this is in reference to a while back we talked about, uh, we talked about like, what does it mean to be in a, to be making games now for this long? So we're now we're actually we're coming up on ten years of the studio mm-hmm. existing, and but not ten years of making because the first like year and a half was random, not real pr- progress the, towards the company uh, doing stuff. Well, the first the first six months we were actually working in we were working in another company right. and all that. So we founded the studio in June of 2012, and we started making Tile Fight Two in November okay. of 2012. So, so this November will be like nine years of the studio actually operating in a full-time capacity. So, um, you know, in, in that time, we've, we've done a lot of things. We've, we've published six games mm-hmm. ranging from large to tiny. Um, we've done dozens and dozens and dozens of game jams. Um, we've gotten, you know, mobile game of the year with Crashlands. We've secured lots of interesting business deals. We've got to go to GDC. We've done a lot of things. You know, we, we went to Nintendo HQ, got a tour from uh, like the guy who designed the Game Boy mm-hmm. and got to talk to him. Like that was cool. Um, and there, there kind of reaches this point where uh, 
you're running out of stuff to to do, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Like you're running out of out of next things to which, of course, to work isn't toward. a real problem, right? Because that means that things are going great. Uh, but it's what, are, it's what we talked about in that episode, though, which is which is your your whole life goal is oriented towards main obtaining stability right obtaining safety obtaining uh resources required for you to know that things are just going to be fine right yeah um but safety is uninspiring and it's not interesting and uninteresting and it's very it's tepid you know it's really interesting uh architectural idea which is that whenever you see a company finish it's like principal headquarters so most recent example would be apple in this case Whenever they have like the final, like finally have this building that they made from scratch that's like supposed to be the thing to house them, it generally marks the start of the decline of the company. Uh, <laughs> right. Because they've hit a, they've hit a, uh, ossification they've, they've hit the point where they can do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah, I think, I think for us, I would say that what, what the midlife crisis looks like for, for the studio is more so along the lines of no longer being, I would say it, you have to go find those things that, that basically you know you're not good at and you have to go push on those. I think it's part of basically what one of the problems with, with being in that sort of that security mindset is that you actually, you'll spend more and more time just in the areas where you can do things most effectively as opposed to trying to, trying to ask the questions about like what, like it is generally the case that this is all there is in this, in the, in the domain that you've been operating. Uh, but if you can sort of, you know, turn to the side a bit and add something else on, then you have a whole nother, you know, big, uh, big, area to go explore. And so I think on, on my side of things, it's been, I mean, my, my interest on the art side has been, you know, perked up a lot in the last two years. So I certainly don't, I don't feel as in a, as if I'm in a, a that sort of secure, not like, yeah, I don't feel like I'm in a midlife crisis point where I'm trying to like throw things out the window um, just for the sake of it. But I think it's, it's more so about, I've identified that I want to get really good at the emotional design side of both the art and the games. Uh, we talk about this with the soundscape, like the fact that right now, if you pop into this, this essentially what is you know an early stage prototype for Crashlands Two, like you can you can feel it and it feels real good to just like wander around in there. It's a whole different. We're operating in a different realm than we've operated before already with this. So, I think it's for me, it's been in pushing further in that direction uh, as we've gotten more secure. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's also there's a there's a framing aspect to this, which is. Um, you can look at the stuff that we're doing now, say like with Crashlands 2, and you can look at it in two different ways. You could say, well, this is just like, we're doing the same stuff, but just like the next iteration of that, right? Or you could look at it as we're doing a bunch of new things, right? Mm-hmm. Like completely new approaches to making the games, thinking about them, about it in new ways, developing totally new systems to make all these new ideas work, right? Um, but it is, it is an extension of what we've done before, no matter what. So, so I think it's very easy to slip into the mindset of thinking like, well, I mean, here we are, like, we're just making another game. <laughs> yeah. They're like, yeah, there's like a few things that we're doing different, but like, we're just making another game and we're going to make another game and another game and another game. And, and then we'll die. And then we're going to die. And that's a, it's a, we're on, we're on a, we're on rails now. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's like, that's where I think the midlife crisis mindset comes in is when you, you know, when you stop uh, recognizing the novelty and fun and interesting aspects of the things that you're doing. Well, I feel I feel like you're just stuck in a routine. Yeah. Right? Well, it's also uh, once you get to that point of, if you're lucky enough to get to that point of, you know, stability and security, um, 
recognizing that there's you'd actually what that's given you is slack, right? Yes. Because with stability and security, uh, you do have room to try things that in a prior state would have been dangerous, right? Because because now if something goes wrong, right? The distance you fall is a lot less because you've got your own safety net that you've created, right? It's sort of like it's like it's like going from when you're when you're like uh, if if you were um, fairly uh, if you, if you had a, a fairly easy kind of kind of a childhood and stuff, and like you get into college, right? And like in college, it's just everything is fine. You have nothing to worry about, right? This is a, assuming you're you're in a privileged state to like not have. To worry too much about finances and all that stuff, but but just like at that point, it's just like people always tell you, like, oh, you're in your, you're in your 20s, this is the time to fail, this is the time to try things, this is the time, time to do whatever, right? Because mm-hmm. you got all this time to recover, and again, like, that's true for a certain amount of privilege, but, it is, people, but it is true yeah. for some people, right? Yeah, uh, and and then after a while, you start to get to that state where, like, now all of a sudden you have things that you're risking, right? Uh, or if you didn't have that privilege in the first place, you already were, right? But there's like stuff well, like that if, was if at you hit risk. a point where sort of like once you're once you're out of that state. There's a pretty good chance that like you're at the start of your career, you're trying to prove yourself, yep. you've got lots of loans that you're trying to pay down, you know, all these different things. Um, and it's the case that that failure at that point suddenly has a it's got a real cost to it. Yeah. You know. Um because yep. you're gonna, you know, you might lose your job, you might be unable to to pay those those things down, get yourself into a bad spot or whatever. So um yeah, I don't know. It's uh there, there's definitely like a, a I don't want to say like cyclical, but there's like you kind of move through these different states at different points in your life, kind of depending on what's what's going on. Yeah, well, and I do think I do think there are two kinds of midlife crises, right? I think I think one of them is that you're sort of perpetually stuck in this high stress spot where if things mm-hmm. go wrong, you're toast, right? And you don't have the bandwidth to like to like you don't, pivot to, in a way that's satisfying. Yeah, so much right, exactly. You, you don't have, have the chance to take risks. <laughs> yeah, you just you just have to like keep on doing what you're doing, and you don't have you don't have options. You don't you don't have the ability to say, "I'd rather do this. I'd rather go experiment with that. I'd rather go try this," because you don't have the safety net. Well, what, what you're doing is always urgent. And yeah, well, and, right? and 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 then you don't have stability. Actually, right? It feels like you yeah. have stability because like you've got a job, you've got but whatever. You're trapped, but you're actually trapped. And I think that's one of the that's I think that's the toxic cause of. Mm-hmm. You know, a midlife crisis, right? Um, and and you know, it's it's easy to walk yourself into that path because of how what uh, our our particular society has valued, which is people um, uh, people uh, flaunting wealth, right? So so you you, keep, you buy your fancy car, you get your big house, you keep on spending more and more of your money, right? And uh, and the outcome of that is that you have to keep working harder, and like and you can't go try a new thing because if you do, you have this now this bridge period where you can't afford your mortgage and you can't afford, you know, and, and things just start to get really hard. Uh, so that's the bad one, right? The good one that we're in is the one where you actually have hit that stable point And now you're, now you ask the question, is this all there now, is? You know, now what? what? But it's, it's different than the question, is this all there is when you're, when you're stressed and when things are really hard, right? Uh, so this is the better form of the midlife crisis. I think it's, it's, it's more along the lines. It's less of, is this all there is and more of, uh, what else could I become or what else could I do? Right. Well, that's the healthy follow-up to the first well, Yeah. Cause, cause now that, now that's that what, this what actually, converts it from being a midlife crisis to being like, oh, here's just another growth point. Yeah, a so. midlife opportunity, yeah. right? Because now, now you've got the time to step back and, and say, okay, now that things aren't on fire anymore, mm-hmm. I'm not in panic mode. I don't have to do things 100% of the time, right? 
because things are more stable and I have more options of like where to put my energy, where to put my time, you know? So now, now you get to, you get, get to pursue some bigger, more interesting things or, you know, you just blow it all on some really expensive thing. And now suddenly you're now, now things are on fire again and you're back in your comfort zone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you're trying to pay down that Lamborghini. Yeah. Right? I mean, I can see that how, like, if, if, it, if it just feels like you're toast anyway, it doesn't feel like you're secure anyway, all this kind of stuff. I can feel how just like the a constant growing sense that you should just burn it all down. Like, I, yeah. can, I can absolutely see how that would, uh, that would be the response to it. Uh, you shouldn't, though, because uh, probably the people around you, uh, don't have that chance. That's that the thing about fire, right? Yep. It's not exactly a contained. You can't contain it. Thing. Yeah. yeah. So when you light yourself on fire, you're also lighting everybody else on fire who you know is related to you in some way. So unfortunately, you can't you can't burn it all down. You still gotta to to continue forward. Um, but that's yeah. It's about trying to tailor your life around what you actually want things to be like versus what everybody else has been telling you they're supposed to be like, mm-hmm. which is not an easy thing. Especially because a lot of times it's your own family members doing it to you and your friends. You know, I, okay, I have like a medium-formed thought on this. So I'm just going to kind of like talk it out or whatever. So I'm, I think it's something that I think is true about all three of us. And you guys can kind of correct me if I'm, if I'm off base. Is I think we've all kind of over our lives come to recognize that having things doesn't really help you for the for the most part mm-hmm. unless it's something that you are using right like to to achieve a, an end mm-hmm. so uh like it's the it's the case that i think still like adam and i drive 2010 ford focus mine's a 2009 2009 for adam's adam's car is a 2009 ford focus with a stick shift it doesn't have cruise control. Nope. Doesn't have. It has like window I've, cranks. I've driven to Texas. <laughs> I've driven to Texas and back without without cruise control with a with a manual. That's yeah, and the thing is, like, adventure. by now that car probably was probably got like eighty, ninety thousand miles on. No, it. it actually only has like fifty. Oh damn! Yeah, I, I'm gonna. I have another ten years on this car. Probably. I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. keep on going. Yeah, and the thing is, like, it's 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 a car. Yeah. I, what I do you? Sold what do you? Sam was like, Sam wasn't even using his Ford, his 2010 Ford (laughs) in the pandemic. And he's like, well, don't need this anymore. And just got rid of it. Did did he turn around and buy a, you know, a Tesla or some shit? No, no. he just doesn't have the focus now. (laughs) Uh, If I, if I need a car at some point, I'll definitely get an electric one, but uh, you know. But why would you get an electric one? It's because of the the practical and ethical implications of it. Not, not because, and, and also you wouldn't get a, like eighty thousand yeah, dollars car and put yourself into big fine a bad no, financial yeah. spot, right? Yeah, and so there, there's like there's a certain attitude that people de- can develop around stuff, around uh, like wealth or around like having high end goods or trying to show show the world that you have things, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I I think chasing that that outward display of status is such a big problem for people. Like I, it puts people into such a terrible spot so often. So this idea of like, of, of having, having a, a, a midlife crisis and like the, the trope, you know, is like you have a midlife crisis and then, and then you do go and you be like, buy something super flashy and expensive and extravagant that like is definitely going to put a huge dent in your, 
in your bank account or like putting on a, a, a like having a wedding that's like thirty thousand dollars or something. My wife know? and I were just talking about this recently because it, it came up in some conversation. I can't remember, but like it, was, it was probably a pandemic related thing, but it just reminded me how fucking angry I am about the wedding industry because its whole thing, if you boil it down, is hey, hey, young couple, um, starting your lives together. Uh, yeah, you know, you could like. There's a bunch of money, right, that you're supposed to somehow have, right, which is, of course, not true for most people. But you're supposed to have it. If you don't, your wedding is ruined. So that's the first thing. And the second <laughs> thing is now, now all this money, all this money, right, is you're going you're gonna to you're gonna, you're gonna look at more money than you've ever thought about spending your entire life so far, which hasn't been long. Because sure, you're right? like 23 Because you're a something. baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, you got, so there's all this money. Now, yeah, sure, you could use that to get your – Financial life as a married couple started off on the right foot. Down payment on a house, paying off your debts, uh, whatever, right? But no, no, no. Nope. Instead, every year, the price of having a wedding is going to go up, just like college, right? Uh, except unlike college, which at least uh, supposedly is going to help you for your future, right? Uh, you're just going to blow this money. It's just it's just gone, right? And it's going to be tens of thousands of dollars. You know how much money you need for a down payment on a house? Tens of thousands of dollars, right? You know how much money you need to pay off huge chunks of your student loans? Tens of thousands of dollars. So yep. take all that money and just fucking throw it away. That's what you're going to do, right? And like, I get it. Yeah, we're celebrating all this kind of stuff, right? But why does the celebration well, have to be coupled with spending infinite money? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. context is king for all this, right? It's it's more so about the fact that it's it's an industry that continuously is pushed people who don't have the means which to, is a, which is almost everybody. Yeah, which is almost yeah. everybody to feel yeah. like you have to participate as if you have a certain yeah, amount Yeah, because of yeah, because a, a modern American course, wedding sure. is modeled after what wealthy people do. Like super wealthy people do for weddings, right? Mm -hmm. It's like it's it's part of this like American dream of like chasing being wealthy kind of a thing, right? Where it's like you you, if it's you not, don't that's not even have just that an American thing. thing, like it's no, it's probably always, not. But yeah, people, there's always the emulation of 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 sort of uh, you know rich folks, basically. Like yeah. every every culture yep. does this, right? But yeah, it's just it's just it just makes me so because it is so hard to start off life uh, your your independent financial life once you know leave your parents, right? Uh, nobody's taught you how to handle your finances. Um, you're probably well, and then you've debt. got. And then you've got everybody, you know, potentially like people in your family saying that you mm -hmm. need to do this, right? Like you need, you know, and they'll even come in and be like, yeah, well, like maybe we'll spot, you know, a quarter of it or, or something yeah. like that, right? Which yeah, that makes like, me even more this, angry, right? Because now it's like if uh, if you're lucky enough that your families have means, right, then there's a really good chance that what they're going to do is offer to pay for big chunks of the wedding, which is great. Mm -hmm. uh, the question but is that's the Jevons paradox because now you're just going to have a way more expensive wedding. Right. Yeah, well, it's not, it's not just that. It's that why why is that the offer versus being like, oh, hey, let's to help you set your your lives off on the right foot, we're going to pay down a bunch of your debts or give you right like it's a uh, it's well the reason that the reason that that offer isn't there is because there's always just also going to be the wedding. And they've only got yeah. enough money for one thing. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be because <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's, there's a finite amount of money, which means it's going to go to if something. It's, I if think it's gonna go I, to something, right? I don't give a shit how people spend them. I'm going to be honest. Like I don't, I don't really, I don't 100 agree with kind of the angle of the conversation because, like, if you want to spend money in a wedding, like you do your thing. If you want to buy a Tesla, you do your thing. But if you're spending money that you don't have, no, that's that's my point. That's like yeah, where it all I also don't care how you spend your money. Yeah, the like point you can is do whatever you want. For the like, vast, ugh. vast, vast majority of people, because most people are not wealthy people, 
but it's just a bad it's just a bad idea it's a terrible idea to have the first thing that you do as an independent financial taxable entity which is what a married couple is right the first thing that you do is you is you suddenly either take money that you have or that you've just recently gained access to via other people right and and the first thing you do with it when you need delete that it, because almost everybody does, <laughs> is you just delete it, right? Because almost, yeah, and like, sure, if you're a rich person, fuck, whatever, spend your money, I don't care, doesn't matter, right? Uh, spend your money on anything, anyway, I don't care, it's up to you, right? But the problem with the wedding industry is it creates a societal requirement yeah, that, a instead, that instead of setting yourself up for financial success for the long term, you fuck the beginning you trap of the yourself. Together. You trap yourself immediately yeah. and and put yourself into a financial situation that is make, makes it more likely that you're going to have financial trouble, that, that's going to lead to marital conflict, that you're going to have a midlife crisis 10 years later because you stuck yourself onto a treadmill because you <laughs> threw tens of thousands <laughs> yeah. of dollars away it's to a, get it's, But hey, it's it was a, a beautiful a rough, wedding. But it was it's a beautiful It's a rough wedding. way to kick it off, you know? Because yeah. you know, it, it would be like you say, like, "Hey, listen, I want to have like a just a dope party, just a just a dope ass party. It's going to be like thirty thousand dollars, though." Mm-hmm. And everybody'd be like, "Whoa, whoa, that's a that's a lot." And then if you were like, "Well, hold on, we're going to get the government involved though, and there's going to be a contract mm-hmm. signing." Mm-hmm. So, and then people are like, "Oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense now." Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, I don't know. I just i I have a lot of. I think I think people sometimes misplace value, you know, on like, well, sorry about that. Yeah. it's about, yeah, well, that's certainly true. Right. But like, yeah, a, a beautiful wedding that's expensive. That's great. If you can do it, that's amazing. That's a, that's a, that's an absolutely fabulous thing to, yeah. to con- be able to The context to is king here for all Yeah. This context story. matters. If um, it's not going to put you into a bad spot. Yeah. yeah. But the yeah. fact is that it puts almost everybody into a bad spot, statistically speaking. Uh, yeah. And the thing is, and I, I will, I will just to, just to clarify, like I didn't do it because I, I knew that I, I didn't have the, <laughs> I didn't have the means. Uh, uh, my my wife and I, you know, we've talked about like now that we're 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 ten years in. We were actually planning on doing for our ten year anniversary. Yeah, we were also doing planning, doing yeah. something like that. But not not nearly as big as probably like what a lot of people would, would do for for a, for a wedding. Um, still something pretty small, but like saying now that we've established ourselves and we've been together and you've for got ten the means. years, now it's time to have a party. Mm-hmm. Because we've de- like we've made it pretty dang far. Yeah, like, you know? <laughs> yeah that's that's actually the change that I want to see happen. Is that uh, is that marriage? The big parties are just like less of a big deal, you know, because like you know, marriage is it's that's two people like thinking it's going to work, but who knows, right? Because there's a lot that you got to sort out together still, probably. And uh, and once you and and that's you starting your life, your financial lives together, which means like you just you don't have the means. Um, so if instead it was a celebration of your ability to as a team, you know. Get to the point where you manage to figure out how to stay together and like in, in a happy way, not just because you feel like you should, right? But but you stay together, you figure it out, you have a great relationship, and then ten years later, you've like because you started off on a nice financial foot because you didn't tend spent twenty thousand dollars on a wedding. Uh, now you've got a lot. You've got the means now, and now you can. Have so a what you're saying party. is, so what you're saying is for for weddings, the new tradition should be, uh, you know, a few folks get together. Yeah, get your family together. Yeah, get the family. Get the family. The, the couple signs the you know the wedding papers, and everybody kind of golf claps like, you know, mm-hmm. like good for you. You signed a paper, but like we'll see where this goes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then after ten years, it's like, all right, you okay? You're onto something here. I think it's I think it's time to have a party. And then after twenty years, it's like, wow, 
you guys are just, you do it great. Crush now it. it's time to have a real big party, you mm-hmm. know? And like, that's the point where you have like, what is currently the thing that you do at the beginning. Yep. You know, celebrate the power of your taxable entity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, anyways, uh, you know, wedding rant over. Yeah. That's all the time we have. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't intend for that to go, but as soon as you brought up the, 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 that car, I just, I was like, one of my one of my many points of enragement that I then can't not talk about when it comes up, you know. Yep, there just, we are. You know, try, just try not. Just don't trap yourself. Mm-hmm. Yep. You no, know, don't fall into traps. Be be your own. Be your own person. All right. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together, and thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.